Well, good morning. It is truly a joy to be together with you this morning. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor of church planting here at Fellowship, and I'm just so glad to be here with you to worship our Lord. This morning, we are concluding our series on suffering that we've been working through this summer. And as we turn to the part of our service where we worship the Lord by hearing from his word, would you join me as we pray and ask God to speak through his word? So let's pray. Our Lord and our God, that is our prayer as we've just sung to you. Lord, speak through your word to us. Show us Christ. Reveal your glory in this wonderful word that you've given us. Lord and God, would you take it and multiply it to us to feed and to fill us with what we truly need today. Lord, we trust that you will do that. And we thank you, Spirit of God, that you're with us. Bless this time, we ask, in the name of our victorious, glorious Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, it's back to school time. I know that's maybe depressing for some of you to hear. Some of you may be really excited about it. So I thought, because it's back to school time, we do a little exercise. You know, summer's winding down. You've got to get ramped up again for back to school. So a little exercise for you. Those of you who are going back to school, this is probably easier for you. For those of us who've been a long time since we've gone back to school, this might be a little bit difficult. But we're going to do a little algebra. Okay, so some of you just broke out into hives. You're like, oh man, I thought I could get away, away from this at church. But it'll be simple. So remember, some of you are going to have to go a long way back to algebra. As was said, you know, somebody said, I was really good at math until they started introducing letters. Anybody out there like that? So a little algebra here. If you have an equation, let's say something like 3x plus 5 equals 14. So you have that there. And the variable x, you have to get the right value for that variable x to make the equation work, right? So if you plugged into that variable x 1, for example, you'd have 3 times 1 plus 5, that would equal 8, and then you'd have an equation 8 equals 14. And I'm no math genius, but I know that's not right. But if you put the correct value in, if you have the value for x as 3, 3 times 3 equals 9 plus 5 is 14, and then the, the equation is balanced, 14 equals 14, and again, as, as a, an English major in college, even I can see that that is correct. Now, that's enough, uh, that's enough math for church. That's the most mathematics I've ever done in a sermon. And we'll stop there because that basically exhausts my understanding of it. And that's true. But we're talking about suffering today. And the reason I go through all this is because if you think about it, you think of all the suffering that takes place in the world, all of the suffering of humanity. If you have an equation where you have that on one side, and then on the other side you have the goodness of God and justice and righteousness, what is it that can balance out that equation? What is it that can answer that question? There's some value there that has to balance that out. And that's what we want to conclude this series on suffering talking about. What can counterbalance the depths of human suffering? What is the answer to all of our suffering? We're going to turn to God's Word 
And so if you have with you a Bible, you can turn with me or you can read it along with us on the screen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to read the first section starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So what is the answer to suffering? The answer to suffering is the glory of God. Our suffering reveals the power of God. Let's look at the text. So right off, very beginning of this passage, we have a this. It says, but this treasure, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. So right away, we have to stop and we have to say, what is the this? What is this treasure? We can't just read on and just go, I don't know what that is and keep going. We won't understand it. So we have to look at it and say, what is the this there? Well, we look at the section before. And this treasure that we have is the ministry of the gospel. It's the proclaiming Christ. It's the light of Christ that we have, that God has given to us, that we can make known to the people around us. If you look at the preceding verse there, verse 6, for God who said, let, the, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you go all the way back up to the, the top of that chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, having this ministry by God's mercy, what is the ministry? What's the ministry of the gospel? He mentions it several times further down in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In that case, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever, believers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when he says we have this treasure, what is he talking about? He's talking about the ministry of the gospel. That's the treasure that we have. And we have this treasure in jars of clay, earthenware vessels, which if you think about it is a little bit surprising. The glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God himself who came down, became a human being, lived in our weakness, lived in all of our uh, sickness and all of our frailty, lived perfectly and gave his life as a ransom for all who would believe. Died on a cross, was buried, rose again the third day, ascended to the place of all authority and majesty, coming back to bring with him all those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's our glorious gospel. That's the treasure. And you think, wow, that's a beautiful treasure. I would put that in the most beautiful vessel where everybody would see it and think, wow, isn't this amazing? But we have this treasure in earthenware vessels, jars of clay. It's surprising. It's kind of odd if we think about it. We would expect something so great and precious to come in a more auspicious package. Like, for example, if you had the Mona Lisa 
You know, she'd say, well, you know, where do we put that? Let's put it in the basement, you know, because the basement's kind of damp and moldy and the water gets in there occasionally. Let's put the Mona Lisa in the basement. That'd be great. You wouldn't do that. It'd be foolish to do it. It'd be silly to do that. But yet God has put this treasure, this glorious gospel, this message, he's put it in us. He's given it to us in jars of clay, ordinary, easily broken, not much to look at, but he's given it to us. And then verse 7 gives us the reason. It says, so that, or to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. So that to show, it's really specific, in order that. It gives us the reason, the purpose. So we have this great treasure in these ordinary vessels for a purpose, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. It's deliberate. It's specific. It's not accidental. It demonstrates that the surpassing power, the great power is not in us as the vessels, but is in God. It's God's power. It belongs to God and not us. Our weakness, our plainness as vessels shows God's capability. It shows his greatness. It demonstrates it. And that's the purpose that God is trying to prove, trying to show that it's him accomplishing it, not us. It's not our power, not our greatness, not our how great and glorious we might be or try to be. It's his greatness, not ours. God's purpose is to show his glory through our weakness, through our suffering. Paul goes on in verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not struck uh, persecuted, but not struck, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Christ, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. So Paul gives a contrast between what's happening to them and what God is doing for them. They are always struck down. They are always persecuted. Look at this again. Persecuted, but not forsaken. So they're persecuted, but they're not left alone. They're not abandoned. They're struck down, but they're not destroyed. It's, it's surprising. They're perplexed, but not driven to despair. You could even say they're, instead of perplexed, they're at a loss. At a loss, but not despairing. Why is that? How is that possible? We should look at the, that list and think, wait, what, what's going on? How is it possible that these things can be happened to them? They're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. They're perplexed, but not driven to despair. They're persecuted, but not forsaken. They're struck down, but not destroyed. It's, it's, it's surprising. How is that possible? It's like in the movie, the hero movies, you know, where the tension is happening toward the end of the movie and the bad guy's all strong or whatever, and he just keeps beating the hero down. You know, and he's like, ha, I've... I've destroyed him, and he kind of walks away and turns around, and he's like, what, you're still there? And the hero keeps coming back after getting beat down over and over, and he's like, how is this possible? That's what's going on here. They're facing all of this persecution, suffering, and yet it doesn't lead to their ruin. How is it possible? It's possible because the power belongs to God, not to us, not to them. 
Paul's able to do this not because he's powerful, but because God is powerful. And it shows the glory of God through this. He goes on in verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal bodies. So what's going on here when it says carrying around the deadness or the dying of Jesus, the death of Jesus, what is that about? Well, if you look carefully at these two verses, verses 10 and 11, I think what's happening here is actually what we would call Hebrew poetic parallelism. Parallelism. It's kind of a technical thing. But, you know, Paul is writing in Greek, but he is Jewish. He's a Hebrew. He was a student of the Scriptures. He understood Hebrew thought and the Scriptures. And so you see this parallelism, this poetic parallelism, all over the place in the Old Testament, but especially in the Psalms. You see it all over the place. And that is where you have a line, and then the next line that comes after it basically says the same thing over again in slightly different language. That's the parallelism that happens. Once you, once you start to see it in the Psalms, you see it everywhere. And I think that's what's happening between these two verses. So in verse 10, you start always, and then you see that in 11. For we who are alive are always. And then the next part, carrying in the body the death of Jesus, being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus, that's exactly the same phrase, may also be manifested in our bodies, may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So you can see how those verses are basically saying the same thing. The biggest difference between the two, between 10 and 11, is actually that second phrase. Carrying in the body the death of Jesus, being given over to, the, to death for Jesus' sake. What that means, if they're parallel, is that those two phrases are explaining each other. So if you say, what does it mean to be carrying in the body the death of Jesus? What it means is being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Now think about the Apostle Paul, who's writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you think the Apostle Paul, his life has been given over to death for the sake of Jesus? Yes, that's his whole life. That's his whole mission. That's his whole ministry. As he's going around, he's putting his life at risk for the propagation of the gospel. So when we look at that carrying around in the body the death of Jesus, what it means is we face death every day, both natural death as well as persecution. And as followers of Jesus, what did Jesus say we should do? Take up our cross, instrument of death, and follow after him. So we're carrying around with us this death of Jesus for his sake, for the sake of proclaiming who Christ is through our words and through our life. And then he ends his kind of summary, the transition. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What does he mean there? Well, he's writing to the Corinthians. These are his disciples, people. He went to their town and proclaimed the gospel, which they had never heard, and they believed in Jesus, and they followed after Jesus. They received grace, they received forgiveness, and they they got a new life because of Paul's ministry. And so he's saying their death, their suffering, their working for the, for the, the gospel proclamation resulted in life for the Corinthians. So he's saying death is at work in us, but life in you. That's the contrast. Why? How is it that death can bring life? 
If death is what's at work in Paul and his ministry, how is it life to them? He doesn't say, well, we were so impressive and so great and our show was so good and our words were so convincing. And you were like, wow, that's amazing. You guys are wonderful. You must be messengers of God. No, they came in death, suffering, weakness. But that resulted in life. Why? Because of the power of God. Because it's God's surpassing power that is at work. That's what he's saying. And it brings glory to God. Have you ever wondered why Christians and the church seem to be kind of a ragtag bunch? You know, why aren't Christians the strongest, wealthiest, healthiest, most stunning bunch of people? Have you ever wondered that? We have God with us. We've been given new life. Shouldn't we be the most impressive? Why are we weak, suffering, marginalized, nothing to write home about? Why isn't the church culturally ascendant and magisterial and impressive? It's not by accident. It's not like, what? God just going, oh, I wish they'd get their act together, and eventually they'd be impressive enough. It's not what God is wondering. It's on purpose. So that, in order that. It's not because we don't have enough faith. It's not because uh, we don't have enough um, power. It's not because we're not pure enough. It's by God's specific purpose and design. So that the power would belong to God and would be shown to belong to God. So that it wouldn't be look at us, it would be look at Christ. Look at the power of God through these weak, ordinary, suffering vessels. And it brings glory to God. Because even though we're not impressive, even though there's the, the Christian life, we get leukemia too. You get into car accidents, we get laughed at. We're weak vessels and yet, think about this, God's power is at work. The gospel is going forth to all corners of the earth. Disciples are being made. Lives are being changed. The forces of hell are being put to flight. People are being baptized. Sinners are being transferred from darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Praises are rising to God in thousands of languages. And the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is being revealed to the glory of God. Through these weak, humble, suffering vessels to show that it's not our power it's God's power the power belongs to God amen that he can use us for this and he chooses to on purpose amazing and our lowliness if you think about it our weakness makes perfect sense since we proclaim a Christ who came in lowliness who came in insignificance, and was crucified in what looks like ultimate weakness. Rome was like, yep, just another one of those people we put down. It looks like that. That's our message. Christ and him crucified. And so for us, the messenger, us, the church, matches the message. However, we do need to be precise here as we think about that. Christ on the cross, him crucified. It's not as though the cross is redefining weakness as power. We're like, oh, well, the weaker we are, the more powerful we are. That's not what's happening because it's God that's at work. 
So we have to be careful. We don't want to think as though weakness and suffering are something we should pursue in, as ends in themselves. Remember back to Pastor Nick's sermon on Colossians 2. We aren't supposed to seek out suffering as though the more we suffer, the better. And remember Pastor Mark's message on Romans 8, that we are victors, not victims. So we have to understand that it's not that God is redefining weakness as power. The, the recognition is though we have weakness and though we have suffering to a great extent, God's power is at work. And the ultimate end of that is that we're going to be raised. We're going to be glorified just like Christ was. Because in our weakness, God's power is at work. And we have to think about this. I don't think we think about the glory of God that much. I love it we get together and we sing about the glory of God. Because I know for me, I tend to really undervalue God's glory. I don't think it's possible to overvalue God's glory. But I can undervalue it. But when we recognize God's glory, then we look at our weakness and we say, in my weakness, as the gospel goes forward, God is victorious. God is glorified in my suffering, in my weaknesses. I just tend to overlook it sometimes. It's like if you go to a garage sale. I don't know if we've got any garage sailors out here. You, know, you go to a garage sale, and you're looking through all the junk, and you find something, you go, oh, you know, you know. You go, ah, this is worth like 10 grand. And the little sticker says 25 cents. Right? And everybody else has passed by it. They're like, yeah, that looks like junk with everything else in the box. And they're like, ha, 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 you know. You, you would go buy that right away. You're like, I really hope I have a you know, quarter in my pocket. If I don't, I get a $10 bill, you know, whatever. Everybody else will overlook it, but you found the treasure. That's how it is with the glory of God. In our weakness, the glory of God is revealed. The power of God is revealed. Let's not overlook that. That we have that treasure. So that's one part of the answer to suffering. And to be honest, if that was all it was, if that was the end of the answer, it would be enough. It would be enough that in our suffering, God is glorified. The spotlight is taken off me and pointed to God. Amazing. But that's not all the answer. The answer to suffering is also the power of Christ's death and resurrection. Our suffering is transformed by the gospel. Let's look at the next section of verses. Verses 13 through 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So he ended in 12 saying, death is at work in us, life in you. How is this life to the Corinthians accomplished? How does it happen? Well, he said it's through the proclamation of the gospel. It's because of the gospel. Paul and company believed the message of Jesus Christ. That he came, lived sinlessly, that he died as a sacrifice, the satisfying sacrifice that God is satisfied for all the sins. That he rose again on the third day and that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of power. That's what they heard and that's what they believe. And so they spoke. They went. 
and they spoke. And because they spoke, the Corinthians heard and they believed. It's the gospel. Even in their suffering, even in their weakness. And they did this because they knew something. Look at verse 14. Knowing that. So what did they know? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So who's the he who there? He who, that's the Holy Spirit. You can look at Romans 8, 11. Paul makes that specific. The Holy Spirit who raised Christ will also do two things. Now the Greek here is a little bit obscured in the translation to English, but it's specific and it's parallel. He will raise us together with Jesus. That's what the Spirit is going to do. Just as Christ was raised, we who have faith in Jesus will be raised with him. And he will present us together with you. So he'll raise us together with Jesus and present us together with you. What Paul is saying is to those who he labored in the faith, they will be presented to God by the Holy Spirit together with Paul and company. The believers will be presented together. Now think about that. Raised with Christ. Presented together before the triune God because of the gospel. Then verse 15, for it is all for your sake. This for it is all, it refers to Paul's suffering, his ministry, his speaking. Why? Paul is doing this because it's for them. He proclaiming so that they would hear. He comes in weakness. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. The, the weakness of their lives, the suffering of their lives is for them. It's for their benefit. Why? So that they would receive the grace of God. And just as they received, others would receive. Because Paul preached to the Corinthians. The Corinthians have the gospel they preached to other people. And other people, and other people, and down, 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 down on the line. Just as it has re- reached us. And we proclaim to others. So grace extends to more and more and more. But it has a purpose here, he says, which results in thanksgiving increasing to the glory of God. So grace extends. Isn't that interesting? This challenged me a bit when I was studying this and preparing for this message. Because I thought, I don't think about thanksgiving increasing that much. I think about grace being extended, people believing, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, having a new life. But what does that result in? Thanksgiving to God. I think we kind of miss this often. This is a goal of the spread of the gospel. As people come to Christ, thanksgiving increases to the glory of God. Why? Because we will be raised with Jesus Christ. How is it that we have that message and we forget it so easily? One day soon, we will be raised together with Jesus Christ. That's something to give thanks for, right? Much more than even a beautiful day like we have today. We have so much to be thankful for because we will be raised with Christ, raised out of this old life of death into the life of Christ, out of all of this pain and suffering and a world of sin, out of this chronic illness, relationship problems, sickness, death, abuse, out of all of that, into the life of Jesus Christ. 
That's the answer to all of our sin, suffering, affliction, and pain. It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, hanging willingly on a cross to forgive our sins, to pay our debt, to take away our shame, to reconcile us to himself, to redeem us from death, to give us a hope and a future. In the fullness of time, to answer the problem of suffering, God sent his son. God himself came into our suffering and suffered in the flesh to rescue us. It's so amazing. I'm so glad that God didn't just send us good wishes, you know, happy thoughts. Well, I hope it works out for you. He didn't even just send us, you know, 10 principles to live or do these things and you'll, because I wouldn't be able to do it. I probably wouldn't even be able to figure out what the 10 principles mean. But God himself came and suffered on the cross for me and for you to rescue us. The cross is the only thing that makes sense out of suffering in this world. On an intellectual and philosophical level, Christ, God himself in human flesh on the cross, is the answer to the problem of suffering. Really the only satisfying answer. And he entered into that. And through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, we are raised together. We will be raised with Christ, presented before God. Now I want you to do something. A little unusual, it's not too bad. Just look around for a minute. Just take a second, look around. You know, the people next to you, if you're sitting in the front row, you're going to have to crane your neck and look to the back. Look around the people in the room. Now I know not everybody in this room is a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're like, I don't know what that means, you're like, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm really glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you for being here. But what I'm talking about is for, we assume most of the people in the room are believers in Jesus Christ. They put their faith in Jesus, trusted in that work. And he's given you his righteousness and taken your sin. If that is you, look around and you're, you're mostly looking at me. You know, you spend a lot of time looking at me. Look at each other. Look around a little bit. Look at these people. At the day of the Lord, we will be raised together with Jesus Christ to a new life. What you really are. Amen. What we really are, what you really are in Christ, we don't even really know. We don't even see the fullness of it as you see these people around you. What we will be in Christ because of the gospel, because of what he did for us. Uh, it's amazing to think about. It's something to be profoundly thankful for today, together. And, and you know, maybe as you were looking around this room, especially those of you who've been a part of this church for a long time, you may be thinking about people who are no longer physically present here. They've died. If they died in faith, they put their trust in Jesus Christ, they'll be there too. And we will know each other in a way we can hardly even imagine because of what Christ has done for us. Now, if you're one of those people, you go, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what faith in Jesus is. You can put your trust in Jesus Christ today. And you can have that promise. But what, what, what a profound thing to be thankful for. No matter your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, 
That's the destination. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ wins for us. So the answer to suffering is the glory of God, Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And the final, the final answer to suffering is God himself. Our suffering terminates in the very presence of God. Look at the last few verses, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we do not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, we do not lose heart. Persecuted, but not destroyed. We do not lose heart. I'm so thankful for the examples of believers who have gone through so much suffering and they don't lose heart. There are people in this room who have strengthened my faith and encouraged me to give thanks to God because they do not lose heart. And they go through so much. Even though our outer self is wasting away. Can I get an amen? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Can I get an amen? Think about the contrast that he's talking about here. Temporary light affliction versus eternal weight of glory. Now, Paul is not making light of suffering. I mean, look at what he's been through in his life. He's not making light of suffering. He's just comparing it to the full perspective of the glory of God to be revealed. That we see like a tiny bit of it. The full perspective of the glory of God will put our suffering into correct perspective. In in comparative light, the deepest afflictions we face here are but light and momentary. And that tells us something. If you're going through something so deep, so dark, you don't know if you can make it through today, that tells us something about the greatness of the glory of God. So at the beginning, I asked, you know, what balances out, what can counterbalance this equation of human suffering? That's actually not entirely correct. Because actually what we're going to receive, what's going to be on that side of the, the equation is actually going to totally blow it away. Totally outweigh it. You wouldn't even be able to compare the two. And I don't know everything you're going through. But I know some of the things. And I know some of the things are deep and dark and heavy. Yet in comparison to the glory you'll be experiencing with Christ, that's nothing. Don't look to what's seen. What's seen is our suffering here. What's seen is what we're going through. Look to what is unseen. What we don't see. The glory that's to be revealed to us. Verse 17, it says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for you. This word is significant because it means to bring about a result by doing something. You could use the word achieve, accomplish, or do. Another definition, to cause a state or condition, to bring about, to produce, to create this affliction. Your suffering is producing for you an eternal weight of glory. Think about that. When you think, God, where are you? I've been praying for years. Where are you? That suffering in faith is producing for you an eternal weight of glory. That's what it's doing for you. I want to read to you some excerpts from a, past, uh, from a message by Pastor John Piper. 
called The Glory of God in the Sight of Eternity. I don't think I could say it any better than he does, so I'm going to read this for us. It's a little bit long, but I think it's significant as he talks about this message. He says, not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say it's meaningless. It's not. It is working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. Amen. The end, the terminus of our suffering is God himself. Think about Job. Job 42, 5. Think about all that Job had gone through, all the suffering. He lost his children, all the suffering. You know the story. He went through all the suffering, all those chapters, and all of the asking for God, and all of the praying. And then at the end, Job 42, 5, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. God doesn't give him the answer to his suffering, but God reveals himself to him. And that's just in his temporal life. Job's temporal life, he saw God, he experienced God, and that was the answer for him. But we, dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, at the end of this life's journey and suffering, we'll be in the presence of God. A number of weeks ago, when I was preaching on Romans 5, I shared about Karen's story at the beginning of the message. Karen, who... I had a medical procedure and severe pain, just total severe pain all the time. And then tragically, her husband was killed in a car accident. And I shared that story. And after, after that message, a number of you came up to me and said, well, what's the end of Karen's story? Like, how did it turn out? You know, we wish that it would be like some great healing. Well, the answer is I don't actually know the end of Karen's story. I moved away, lost touch, so I don't know the end of her story. But I do know the end of her story through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Karen perseveres through that by faith in Jesus Christ, the end of her road is going to be resurrection, freedom from pain, and standing in the light of God for all eternity. What she will find at the end of that road of suffering is God himself, just as you will. After we've passed through this life suffering, on the day of the Lord, we won't just get an answer. Sometimes we think about that. Lord, you know, we ask that question sometimes. We say, God, why are you doing this? Why haven't you answered my prayer? Why haven't you taken me out of this suffering? And we ask that question. It's okay that we ask that question. The psalmist asks those questions. God, why? We ask that because we don't know. We're finite. But on the day of the Lord... When we're resurrected and in the presence of God, you won't just get an answer to that question. 
That's not what's just coming. You're not like, oh, good, I'll get the answer. What you will get is God himself. The presence of the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator. That's what's waiting at the end of the, at the, end of the road. That amazing truth that we've sung about. The everlasting, all-consuming, burning fire and glorious one in Christ. You and I will be able to stand in the burning, white-hot, pure, holy fire of God and not be burned up. That's where we're headed. The embrace of the one true living God. Through all of that pain, through all of that suffering, that's the answer. We will look upon his face and know him as we have been known. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we worship you, we thank you, we glorify you. Though our pain is deep and the darkness seems impenetrable, we know that you are with us. And we know that in Christ Jesus we have overcome. Because you overcame. And we worship you and thank you for that. Lord, help us through this to grasp hold of that answer. And to rejoice. Would we rejoice with great joy? Because it's sure. Because it's not based on us. But it's based on the work you have done. And you who have begun this good work in us will carry it out to completion to the day of the Lord. And we together will rejoice with Christ. So let us, Lord, let us embrace that. That we would have thankfulness. And Lord, I thank you that as a fellowship, as, as this body of Christ, my brothers and sisters here, we do not lose heart. Though the days be dark, that the pain be deep and real, we do not lose heart because the joy is coming. The resurrection is coming. The embrace of our God and Savior is ahead of us. We worship and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.